Welcome back to another episode of the Lead with Data podcast with myself, Rena Gami. In addition to being a podcast host, I also lead a business intelligence and data analytics recruitment practice. This is the podcast where I bring you some of the most talented data leaders who have contributed in significant uplift of BI and data analytics capabilities in some of the most progressive organizations across Australia. I want to share the stories of their careers, challenges they faced, and the reality of how the recent pandemic may or may not have impacted their roles and responsibilities in their current organizations. Here's where we get to learn what some of the professionals in this field are doing right now. Welcome back to another episode of Lead with Data. On the show today, I'm joined by Sue. Sue is the Director of Data and Insights at Tennis Australia. I actually met Sue a few months ago. uh, And one of the things that really, really struck me about Sue was just the way she approaches things, how she comes across, what's been successful in her, you know, things that have made her successful in her career, um, and just her sort of underlying humble, humble, um, driven confidence that she has in herself to do really, really well. Um, the conversation that we have today is around female leadership, you know, why there's such an underrepresentation across the industry. What could females be doing? What could individuals be doing in terms of, you know, putting themselves out there and um, creating opportunities which lead them towards that leadership? position. One of the things that really struck me about Sue in this particular conversation was just that she never once mentioned anything negative that was stopping her from being successful. I think she really focuses on all the things that have made her successful and the things that she's in control of and never used outside influences, environmental impacts, environments that you've worked in to stop her from succeeding and that's one of the things I loved about this discussion is the whole session was really focused around what you as an individual can do to really drive your career forward. Um, I loved, loved this session. She's such a humble, beautiful individual and has has been obviously very, very successful through this approach. So I think um, she's got a lot to share and there's a lot of wisdom that can be taken out of this episode. Thank you so much, Sue, for joining me on the show today. Thanks so much, Rena. It's such a great opportunity to chat with you and share my background and experience. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Likewise. Look, I'm really excited. I think I mentioned to you when uh, we were talking about this that I really wanted this season to be focused on highlighting and showcasing some of the um, amazing leaders that we've got across, um, you know, the data space here in Australia. You know, it's been really um, humbling to get, you know, people um, people's interest um, in this. And, and I think the topic today that we're sort of talking about is really focusing on, um, you know, the sort of female leadership um, approach, the career um, and, and just from your perspective, you know, your experience, how you've sort of grown your career and, and how it's shaped you. So I'm really excited to be sharing this because I think this is a really good topic to cover as part of this um, this season. So like I do with um, all my guests, Sue, I'll, I'll get you to give me maybe just a brief introduction to yourself and, and a brief background of, of where you're at and what where you've come from. Yeah, thanks, Rena. Um, so, yeah, so I actually started off um, in marketing. 
I worked as a traditional brand marketer. And at that time, not that it was ages ago, but, you know, going back to uni in those um, sort of early 2000s, it was a very interesting time because it was a very traditional approach to what you should study, what you can study, and also what opportunities are there. And I think in education in general with the university sector, there's a lot more um, education around what opportunities students have these days compared to, you know, about 20 years ago, 15 years ago. And um, interestingly enough, I was just sort of segmented into the traditional thinking, either you go into the sciences or the legal or the, the commerce field. Um, yeah. So I took the commerce field and I thought it suited my personality really well. Um, but of course, when you work in the environment, it's very different. Um, and I always felt I was missing something because I love tech yeah. and I love with technology. And um, when I was in university, I always got into, you know, using Excel spreadsheets and using the latest software, buying the latest phone. Um, so I've always felt I needed to sort of segment my interests along with my career. So fortunately, around the time when digital marketing was sort of becoming really big and really um, a uh, an important space within marketing, I fell straight into it, going into CRM, digital marketing, SEO, marketing analytics, and really looking through customer information. But at that time, uh, a lot of organizations were more invested within the marketing stream to really uh, inject your data and understand your data rather than an organizational sort of focus. And it was, again, always about understanding who your customers are so that you can target them better, understand their needs and wants and be able to research their profiles at a deeper level. So that was sort of how I got into the analytics field, but it took on the tech perspective a lot more around 20, 2009, 2010. Mm -hmm. And I started incorporating a lot more technical expertise around technology, using different tools, understanding how programming works, what are the different capabilities you need at the back end. And I started to grow my career in that sense. So pretty much every job I took from then on, I was using a new tool, I was trying a new skill, I was learning a new way of looking at data, and I slowly picked up pace and tried to become more technical by uh, learning SQL, which is obviously a key language in um, data analysis, yeah. and I around different tools, um, used CRM, marketing technology, um, and then started going into more cloud-based platforms. And that was probably the more recent aspect of my career in the last four years. Yeah. Um, and again, gave me the opportunity to really innovate and start to take on what's trending in the market. How can we find ways to improve processes? How do we operationalize what we're doing? Um, what does success look like in a data team? And what should an ideal data team be? So that was sort of the focus I took. I took my interests and I aligned that back to how can this sort of resonate with my career from my educational background as well as what I do today? Um, and that's sort of how my career evolved, working into different sectors. I've worked in banking, education, energy, more recently in government, and now, of course, sports. So it's been very exciting for me. Excellent. And, and I love that. And I love that about um, the individuals that I come across in data because I think people come from all walks of life. I mean, one of my guests on the show had come from a medical science background and, you know, works in analytics. And I think it's so interesting that there are so many different skills and so many different careers that you can start to off in and then forge your way into data analytics because, you know, there's so many sort of transferable skills um, that, that can be applied um, through it. So it's really, really interesting. So thank you for sharing that. Um, and in your, um, in your current role, so you're um, obviously the director of data analytics at uh, Tennis Australia, yeah? Yes, that's right, yeah. 
Brilliant, brilliant. Um, and so what are you most, I mean, you've talked about a few things that you love. Obviously, you talked about the fact that you've always been into the technical side, the te- you know, the tech side of it. What are you most passionate about when it comes to data? I think it's just the curiosity aspect of it. You know, I think um, there's so many questions that can be answered by data, but then there is also the intrinsic side where there's a lot of questions that can't be answered by data. And how do you marry the two worlds together? That's been a very interesting part of my journey in the data space. I think also what has been um, quite interesting for me is to really know all the moving parts. You know, you rely on technology to get good data, but you also rely on good quality data to make use of that data, you know. Um, And you can, you know, if you don't have a question that needs to be answered and if you don't have a problem that needs to be solved, you can just keep looking through data and, you know, come to an outcome of something or also come to an outcome of absolutely nothing. Um, And actually really useful for me because um, it just means you have to really think outside of the traditional mindset. And it's giving you the opportunity to really start to grow your mindset. So obviously in the industry, growth mindset has become a really um, a strong concept. And a lot of organizations are trying to, to form that and understand that a lot better. And I feel with the data understanding that I've had, that opportunity has come to me to actually build my own growth mindset. And that for me has been a very key driver of my um, my leadership, but also the way I work, the way I think. And it's really interesting because even if it's not work-related, I always think about, but what does the data say? <laughs> so yeah. um, when I was looking for a house um, going into real estate, I started plotting my own data points. And yeah. you know, it was not there, it wasn't available. <laughs> so it just became a part of my daily life as well. And it was just interesting because I felt I had more confidence in making decisions based on data, but it also helped to validate my gut. So to to say that it doesn't mean I only use data, but I also use my my general knowledge around the information that I had to make those decisions. And it was really a complementary capability that I could drive. Um, And that's really my passion is just to to keep digging and to keep understanding and having that curiosity, um, but also enjoying what I do. And I think it's really important that you have to enjoy what you do. I like playing with tech. Um, I love buying the newest phone in the market. If I could afford it, I'd buy one every month, but I can't. <laughs> so it's it's just having that the general passion and putting that as as a part of my daily life because you spend 80% of your week at work. You must enjoy what you do, at least to a certain extent. And I do love what I do. So yeah. that really was my passion to to love what I'm doing. Excellent, excellent. And look, I think the topic we're talking about today is going to really resonate with, um, with the audience. Um, we all know that, you know, it's no secret We've obviously got a gender diversity problem across tech um, and, and data, um, you know, and yeah. uh, we've talked about this before um, and a lot of organisations, um, you know, have a big initiative to try and encourage and, and drive that. And diversity comes in all forms. I think immediately when we talk diversity, people immediately think gender balance, right? But it's it's not just gender balance. Um, it, it's diversity across the board. Um, at, mm. You know, we I think we all sort of recognise that they're definitely... Um, is an opportunity um, for female leaders to, you know, um, move their careers forward and, and really shine and, and have um, a really successful career across technology and data. So, you know, I was really interested in talking about your background um, because I think from my experience, some of the, you know, some of the most successful um, female leaders that I know, um, you know, inherently are, are, are doers. They go in, they, they're not sort of arrogant, they're, they're not showy, um, they just kind of do what they're doing and they focus on doing, um, you know, really, really great pieces of work. Um, but 
quite often can be a little bit underrepresented for leadership roles or in in, in a leadership um, sort of forum. So what I wanted to really do today was talk about your sort of career journey and experience and focus on some of the things that you feel have really helped you to get where you are. Um, Maybe, um, you know, even reflecting back on some of the things that you felt um, could have perhaps or may have um, held you back in the past from, you know, pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. Mm Um, mm. So, yeah, so look, I, I suppose, and, and you've touched on this before in terms of how you got into da- data, that was going to be one of my questions. So, you know, I think you, you sort of mentioned that you, you started off in commerce and then moved into data. So I think we've established that it's possible to, to do something that you're really passionate about. Um, why, from your um, experience, um, and, and I know you do a lot of uh, work across, across the board in this space, why do you feel there is an underrepresentation of females in this field? There's a few things that shape that um, unfortunate scenario. Um, One does start off actually from the grassroots level. How familiar are girls or teenagers or, you know, young women um, at the school level, at the high school level? How aware are they of what opportunities lie out there? And I think even today in 2022, we can say um, a lot of the thinking around careers is shaped around the traditional roles of either being a doctor, engineer, or a lawyer. Um, And commerce does come into there, but more in the form of accounting rather than Mm -hmm. in the form of tech. And um, I think that's where it all starts off is the traditional mindset and being able to break through that. Um, I've been a a STEM coach in the last um, year or so. And some of the things I identified coaching um, uh, women or females in this area is that they don't know what actually they can do. And it starts off with, I don't know what to do with my life and I don't know what to do with my career, but if I did want to have a career, what options do I have? And um, I think that's where the education needs to be built at that grassroots level to start with. But then when you leave that sort of chapter of your life and you enter the education, uh, the tertiary education sector, and you leave that you're still left left lost. You're still left confused and not knowing, you know, which direction should your career take? Because as much as we get the fundamental knowledge and experience at a tertiary level, we don't get the life skills from that. Um, and I think more recently, possibly in the last five to 10 years, universities have embarked on placements and IBL um, sort of capabilities, which really, I think, are relevant in this day and age because it gives you that hands-on experience. But again, it comes down to what sort of, projects, what sort of activities can you put students on that will give them the experience to really know um, this is what it is like to work as a data scientist or a data analyst or a data engineer. And um, those are the sorts of activities that really need to be uh, encouraged and supported because that's where I think we're falling short of being able to educate the possibilities out there. And if I just look at my own career, I started off in marketing. I would have had no idea that 15 years later, I would work as a leader in in data and and look at promoting artificial intelligence and machine learning and uh, platform capabilities, um, not having learned that at all at university. Yeah. Um, So, you know, it was, there was just absolutely no option to realize that, you know, there are jobs in the future that we've not touched yet. And who knows, maybe in the next 20 years, I'll be doing something I never imagined again. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really about understanding that your education is there as a foundation, as a fundamental, but it's not there to be set in stone that this is, this is all you're going to do. And this is all you can do because um, growing and learning is a continuous job. It's a continuous process. And if you have an interest to do something, 
either even as organizational leadership, you want to maybe build a leadership course or a leadership program within an organization, you can actually self-develop. Um, and there's so many ways to self-develop that without having to just rely on tertiary education. Um, it's important, but learning and evolving is a continuous process. It doesn't end when you graduate. So I would say starting that awareness at that level is, is the problem. The other unfortunate challenge, and I've experienced this just through the hiring process, is that many women don't actually apply for these roles, mm -hmm. either because they've not uh, got the skills and they feel, um, you know, I possibly can't do it. I haven't met 100% of the criteria. I haven't ticked all the boxes. And, you know, maybe I just know a bit of SQL. Is that enough to get me there? And the confidence issue comes into play and they don't apply. Um, and then second to that is also, I think as women in general, we tend to be a lot more conservative about how we expose our skills and how we talk about our skills. And so we don't actually expose that well enough in our resumes or our CVs. And when it comes to the interview stage, many times they don't make it there because they haven't spoken about their skill well enough. Um, a tactic I actually use, and you know, maybe it could be a bit controversial, I actually don't look at the name of the person who's applying for the job. Yeah. That's irrelevant. I always just look at the skills. So what can this person bring into the team? What gaps are they going to fill in my team? And um, how would they complement my skills? And would the executive understand what they actually are trying to convey about data or a process or just in general, a solution that they're trying to provide to the organization? So those are really the things I look at. And unfortunately, be it male or female, there are gaps even in that process. Yeah. So I'd say, again, it's about awareness of how to promote yourself well enough through the resume uh, or the application process and uh, being able to communicate that well enough to the person who's never met you, doesn't know anything about you, and only knows enough about you from paper. So that's another gap that really needs to be filled. Um, and then, of course, coming back to the organizational context, you've worked as a data analyst, you're in there as an analytics manager, you've gone up the tier, but you've not made your place within the leadership stream. I think, again, it comes back to um, confidence. How well do you relate to the C-suite? How well do you communicate with them? And how have you built your rapport as a leader with the technical skills? And that is really a challenge because it is about um, you know, networking, knowing your executives, knowing what they want and speaking their language. It's not just about the technical skills. You can be only as good with technical, but only as much as they can understand. Yeah. Um, so there's that gap as well, being able to self-promote. And we're not good at that. We yeah. don't do very well at showing off. And <laughs> we probably need to do a bit better at that, you know, really expose yourself, do different things, but make sure it's relevant to the leadership position you're trying to build on. Um, and also it comes back down to opportunities. Sometimes you may have to take those difficult opportunities to be able to grow that capability. And again, I'm just going to reflect on my career. I made a, um, a strategic um, decision to actually do more contract roles. So they were, you know, short contract roles, but very encouraging for my career because I got exposed to different sectors, to different environments, and um, it gave me a lot of different skills. And so instead of segmenting myself into just one position for, you know, more than three years, I did different positions and I, you know, actively took on that approach because I felt it would enhance my career and it did. Um, it really did help me to uh, promote myself a lot better, build a network, but then also build a profile of um, projects and tasks that were varied and different. And now I see industry is changing that approach where they feel we need somebody with diversity. 
Yeah. It's not diversity in appearance or in thinking, but it's diversity of work, of skills, yeah. of sectors, because what may have worked in one sector could potentially be innovative enough to work in another sector. Yeah. So, and I think also to that, you will notice probably with the generation that is in the workforce now, they're going to be working a lot less um, for a longer period in one company um, than used to be where, you know, you would find that tenure lasts 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, or sometimes even people retire from that company. Yeah. But now I think, you know, the time frame is about two years to three years at the most. Yeah. And if you don't get promoted and if you don't have diversity of skills, you're probably going to see that person leave very quickly yeah. <laughs> because they want to be, they want to be um, diversified and they want to be able to um, learn something new and be able to open that. And, and in all honesty, even in data, things can get very boring if you're doing the same thing all the time. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And I think um, you raised a good point there because, um, and, and look, you know, I see job board um, adverts all the time, right? And there's this wish list um, of, mm. you know, these are all the things that you need to have. Um, and as you know, I mean, part of, you know, my role is, is supporting clients in recruiting. Um, and probably 99% of the time we talk to a client, what they actually want is not what the job is advertised as. Um, yeah. When we get into the detail of what is actually the key essential parts of you know, the technical capability that they're looking for, um, most of them will be satisfied with at least 60 to 65%. You know, the rest they actually want to be able to coach, develop and give that person the room to grow. Because if you can do 100% of that role, there's really nothing left for you to learn. And this is what I always tell individuals. And so I love that you said that, you know, that that, you know, and 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 you you've obviously identified that a lot of you know females are very conservative around you know what they say they can do and will only apply for something if they genuinely feel they can do it. But if they don't take hundred percent of it, they probably won't apply. So I think that's a really strong message to everyone out there that if you feel that you at least um, meet more than fifty percent of the requirements, or you see that there is scope for you to learn and grow, then you definitely should be putting your hat in the ring for that um, or at least um, having a conversation because what you'll probably discover is the things that you don't have are probably not as important as the things that you do have. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, um, attitude plays a big role in that entire capability. It's not just attitude, but it's also, you know, having the ability to lead, having the ability to take that courage. Mm -hmm. And I think at times as well, there is probably the thinking, can I take accountability? Am I ready to take this accountability? Yeah. And if not, uh, then I'm just happy to stay where I am. So yeah. it's also about understanding what does it mean to be a leader? And are you prepared to take on the challenges of leadership? Because um, leadership alone is not based on technical skills. It's about no. managing people. And, yeah. you know, as we say, human beings are the most complex of all creatures. <laughs> so it's about being able to understand um, their mindset and navigate that. Yeah, definitely, and that's something that you definitely you don't get from from reading a job uh, a job advertisement or reading someone's CV. It's really once you start talking to them that you understand how they think, how they approach things, um, and and how well they're going to fit into an organisation or a role. Um, so touching on that, I mean, you mentioned there that you know quite often it's about um, not being able to maybe recognise or acknowledge. Um, the opportunities in your um, in your career that that maybe have held people back from pushing themselves forward. I mean, can you think of um, I suppose um, 
a time or, or or could you maybe share with us some of the opportunities that you did see um, throughout your career that made you kind of um, confident about pushing for those leadership type roles or the steps forward in that career? Yeah, so I would say as, you know, technology in organizations became more widespread across more teams rather than just technology, I saw that as a really good avenue to uh, incorporate my marketing skills. So um, like I was mentioning earlier on, I started off, you know, pure marketing, transitioning very much into marketing technology and now more data and more technology around the customer. Um, And it's not so much just marketing, but it is about the customer. Um, So I saw the opportunities over there to really bring together that journey to build that journey within an organization. And even though I wasn't necessarily in the executive or, you know, sitting at that top tier of an organization, I had the opportunity to expose these journeys to that tier. So I took the the ownership of saying, I'm going to build out this journey. I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to tell the organization something they actually didn't know about their customer. And that was really the game changer for me is to know more about the customer that is so important to an organization and building that relationship and telling them something they actually never knew they could harness or they could innovate uh, on. So based on that, I started building a lot of my projects around customer journeys, um, touch points, what did, uh, what did a customer do to get to us and how did they do that? Purely based on data, no, no, um, no, sh- no shyness in mentioning that. Yeah. But yeah, it was purely based on data because that was my, um, that was my strength. Yes. To look at data from that aspect. But to that, because I also had the opportunity to have face-to-face conversations and also build a bit of a market research profile, um, that complemented that um, non-data perspective with the data perspective. It helped to validate and then take it back to the exec and say, these are all the things I found out about your customer. What do you think you're going to do about it? Yeah. And, and that really changed the conversations. And that helped to build um, the leadership around taking on more strategic projects, you know, not just doing hands-on executional work, but really taking on more strategic projects and then bringing that back to the team that I was leading. So for me, it was, again, about finding the gap in an organization which historically did things the same way, but really was looking to change and had an appetite to change, but didn't know where to start. And that was where I said, okay, this is where I'm going to get in. I'm going to be an individual contributor, but I'm going to really talk about something they've not known and they've probably not seen outside of this industry or this organization. But this is where I can bring those skills back and and use my experience and background to shape the thinking and encourage and influence the thinking. So for me, I would say that was the big part of it. Another uh, aspect of how I shaped um, my opportunities was going into organizations that did a lot less than I've previously done, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah. So taking on a lot more transformational projects. Yes. So that's the buzzword. And every organization is going to have a continued approach to transformation for eons. It's not going to end yeah. because technology is changing and organizations have to change with it. So I looked for opportunities to take on transformational um, roles where I could say, I did this in a previous company and I think it could work here. And um, I think this would be a real change to the way you interact with your customers. And that, again, led to the opportunity to drive teams, lead them, but also know what the gaps were that I've experienced in the past that could be fulfilled in a different organization. Yeah. So the transformational thinking and the transformational approach helped to 
eventuate in, in the current position that I have because it's just as a great opportunity as I've had in the past as well. Excellent. Okay. So on that now, because I think that's great because you're obviously very, very self-motivated, Sue, from what you said, and you're very keen to make an impact and make a difference in organisations that you've been in. Um, And I think a lot of organisations want to encourage that, but there's got to be some factors and an environment and resources available for an individual to be able to do that. What do you believe um, you were surrounded by and what could organisations be more aware of to be able to promote and encourage somebody like you to go in because it's great that you want to do that but you need to have you know the the inf- when I say infrastructure I'm not talking technology but you know the environment the um the opportunity to be able to have that freedom to express and and demonstrate that what do you think organizations should be more aware of being able to provide or, or, or you know what sort of things do you think could contribute to an environment that will promote that I think the first thing is around knowing the type of people you need to bring into the organization to make that successful. And I'm going to go back to the earlier point you mentioned around the skills. Mm -hmm. Um, We cannot find unicorns. They definitely don't exist. But it's really about knowing what are the skills gaps that you have in an organization and what types of people can help to fulfill that. It does not mean you have to hire somebody with every single skill. But as you said, be able to see, do they have the aptitude and the ability to grow themselves? So that's one thing. Getting the PD right. That's actually the main thing. Get your PD right. Know what your job entails. Don't ask for somebody with experience in um, machine learning for 10 years. You're not going to find that Mm -hmm. unless you're prepared to hire someone from Google, which is not possible. So um, I would say getting that right first is the main thing, but also knowing what is the journey that the organization wants to take. What is that objective? What are you trying to achieve? Because... um, for example, you may not need, um, you know, an extremely technical data workforce mm-hmm. because your organization doesn't call for it. Do you really need to know more about neural networks? Is it, you know, applicable to your organization? Probably not. So understand what is the use case and the actual business problem you're trying to solve so that you can build the right team to support that. And, and I would say a good way to start is start with your leaders, get the right leaders in to then be able to shape the teams that are going to be able to drive that and the teams that drive that need to be prepared to go on that journey as well because the journey is continuous. Again, we say two or three years, but it's actually forever because a lot of these projects are, again, transformational. They will continue to evolve. What works today may not work in five years. Mm -hmm. So it's to be prepared to manage that uh, that change and be able to stretch that change out as well. Um, So that's one environment. And I would say even at the exec level, it's very important for them to have the evidence-based approach to know that this journey that they're taking is actually going to um, resonate with their audiences. It's going to help fulfill those relationship gaps. And if anything, it will improve what your customers are saying to you and enable you know, better satisfaction scores or better NPS ratings or just better relationships in general. So understand your customer and what they're asking for and then be able to bring in the leaders and the teams that will help to bridge that gap as well. Yeah. So I think an environment like that, that is, um, you know, that has a proper change management plan, knows how to deliver change, knows how to drive change. But if it's not there, bring in the leaders and the teams that can help drive that change and then be able to support that so that you can achieve success and you can achieve, you know, whatever goals you've set for yourself in the next, you know, five to 10 years. 
Yeah. Um, because again, change is continuous. It's not going to end. Yeah. Um, and so you have to make sure the people who come into the teams um, and the organization can help to manage that. Um, and then, of course, you know, it's again a part of that environment is knowing how collaborative your environment is. And if it's not that collaborative, what initiatives can be put into place to deliver that change and build that collaboration and that galvanization of um, different people? So that's another in important aspect of that. If, if the exec buys into that and if they're satisfied with that, I would say you're more or less going to achieve those outcomes because you yeah. have to navigate people responsibilities, people leadership, but the change that surrounds all of that. Excellent. Thank you for that. And I think uh, I think you've sort of summed it up really well there because I think a, a lot of organisations who want to promote an environment where, um, you know, individuals like yourself can, um, you know, uh, be more expressive and, and, you know, drive more change in initiative, it almost needs to come from that top end of, this is the environment we want to create and, and they're going to then be able to attract those types of individuals. Whereas if they kind of just want to tick the box of we want to, you know, um, improve or uh, balance out, you know, the diversity across our business, but they don't really have that mindset for change, um, yeah. you can bring all those people in. But if you don't provide them with the space and the environment to be able to, to grow and drive that change, um, you're going to lose those people to organisations that provide exactly what you've just explained. So I think that's probably the message for organisations and, and executive leaders there who, you know, wanting to, uh, uh, you know, promote and bring in, um, you know, a diversity um, and, and balance of, of skills and mindsets is that it needs to kind of come from there and it needs to be a, an organisational, you know, mindset change rather than just, Sort of ticking a box to say we we, we want to do this because we have to be we have to look like we're more diverse or we need to increase it. I think it needs to come. It does come from a much more of a deeper level than just being able to tick the box. So thank you, um, thank you for sharing that. Um, and in terms of look, you know, and you've obviously um, you know come from being you know quite hands on as most leaders do, and then you sort of go up into more leadership roles where you're then more responsible for for managing teams and leading teams. Um, how did you balance being technical, but then being an influencer and starting to build towards that leadership um, approach? <laughs> That's a tough question because everything is so unstructured in my life. <laughs> to try and give a structured approach is going to be a bit more challenging. Um, I would say, I think, well, it, it again goes back to early in my career and finding what I had interest in and, and starting off that journey with... Um, you know, doing a lot more hands-on type of projects. If, if it's not professional, then it was personal. Just, you know, just like the real estate exercise I was telling you about, you know, it's really finding opportunities that, that you can use to build on that hands-on skills. And for me, that was my strength. And I felt if I could speak really well to this, and if I could showcase what I can deliver, I have a much better chance of building my confidence at that leadership level. Yeah. And it's not to say that, um, you know, it was perfect. It never was. Mm -hmm. um, it was a struggle on some, on some days and some yeah. jobs. It was really a big struggle. And I had to find ways to understand how I could improve what I was doing. And, yeah. you know, I've, I've, that meant also taking on feedback that maybe I wasn't prepared for. Yeah. You know, and it's not that it was negative. It was more constructive. And, you know, it was about taking that constructive feedback and saying, okay, if, if, if I'm not so good at this, how can I get better at it? Yeah. I'll probably never get perfect, but how can I get better at it? And, and sort of looking at those avenues to do that. 
Um, I think obviously, you know, with a lot of online learning channels as well now, I, I've really taken on to that, listening to podcasts, watching a lot of uh, videos on, on, you know, improving technical skills and the way you do things. Right. Doing is learning. And, and that's really how I shaped up those hands-on skills. Because again, I never did this. I never did yes. it before. I had to learn it from scratch. Yeah. But I had an interest. And if you have an interest and if you have a curious sort of perspective, that alone can help you to determine whether this is an area you actually want to pursue at the longer term. You yeah. know? Um, so that was obviously an avenue I used where I felt if I can technically grow my step and my skills, then I firmly believe that I can build on the other soft skills around leadership. But, you know, to complement any, any role, even if it's not in data, you need a lot of soft skills. Yeah. And so it meant that I had to be prepared to face executives and, and present to them and do a lot more of the storytelling that would be relevant to them and resonate with them. Um, so those were some of the things I embedded into the technical skill set where I took on courage and I took on uh, the honest approach of saying, this is what I found out, this is what I know, and these are my recommendations. And, and that then comes again from a trusted source. Um, the organization trusts my judgment, trusts my uh, ability to deliver and meet those outcomes, and that helped to build that journey on. I would say confidence comes with practice. Um, for some people, it's it's definitely by nature. Uh, for me, it was part nature, part experience, and I, I really tried utilizing my experience to say, I know what I'm talking about and I have confidence in what I'm talking about because these are all my outcomes and these are my deliverables. These are the challenges I've had, but this, this is how I've mitigated those challenges. Yeah. Um, so providing that story, that journey is really important. And I know storytelling, again, buzzword in the industry, but what does it really mean? Um, it's not storytelling just about data, but storytelling yourself as yeah. well. And, and, and making sure that the audience can trust what you're exposing to them and what you're sharing with them. And I do believe my experience and my background will resonate with a lot of people because I was also one of them where I was lost and I had no idea what I wanted to do with my career, but then I found my passion. Yeah. And I think that can resonate with a lot of people who are trying to find the ground and, and the direction that they're trying to steer for their lives and their career. Yeah. So I don't know if I've answered your question and I hope I have, um, yeah. but it's really about finding ways to build on the technical with the leadership and, and understanding your leaders so that you can actually communicate to them in a way that they need and they in the way that they need to understand and they need to deliver outcomes. Yeah, yeah. And how did you step away from um, being so hands-on? Because as you get into leadership, you know, it's less about being hands-on and the doing yeah. and more about being able to empower and, you know, being able to give your team the environment and the, the, the leadership to be able to do different things because quite often that's um, something that people are conflicted with, you know, in terms of, um, when they're stepping into a leadership role is, is is having to let go of the things they're really passionate about because they're so good at doing that. But then, you know, and I think this is going to be a leadership quality and the trust that you then have that you put the person that you've now handed that over to. How did you, how did you manage that? Um, yeah, so I was actually quite happy to be less hands-on. Maybe that's, that's where right. it started. <laughs> because I did the executional and the hands-on work for so long that, you know, it came to a point where I was starting to get a bit bored because yeah. I was using very similar tools, having very similar challenges yeah. that I felt something needs to change if I'm going to grow. Mm -hmm. And so I started putting my hand up for more strategic work. Right. And I started saying uh, to my leaders and, and, you know, project managers, and I, I, I took an initiative and I said, can I do this? 
How about I maybe deliver a strategy on journey mapping? Mm-hmm. How about I take on a small project and I talk about, for example, um, you know, what uh, AI technology may yeah. provide us better services. So I started taking on projects that I could see would fulfill a gap, but also things that I could resonate with and I could actually understand. Yeah. And, and to be honest, there was no monetary benefit to it. There wasn't, but there was an intrinsic interest benefit to it. And yeah. it felt like it was going to enhance and grow my career. Yeah. Um, so to that, I've also started taking on jobs that are not tech and not um, uh, data related. I yeah. started learning more about vendor management. Yeah. And vendor management is a massive part of a lot of organizations. Yeah. But as leaders, you actually have to know very well how to manage your vendors and how to build Correct. those relationships with them. So um, I took, I put my hand up again at an organization that I worked in to say, you know, how about I try this? For the team. I take one for the team and I learn a bit more. And it was very highly encouraged. And, yeah. you know, it also came from my leader to have the trust and say, you know, I believe you can do this. Yeah. I'm giving you the support and the encouragement and the environment to be able to grow this capability yeah. and come to us and, and help us adopt, you know. Yeah. Um, and so it took, it came from that approach of saying, you know what, I feel like I'm stagnating in this because I'm doing so much of yeah. it. And I try something new. Yeah. So it means having open conversations. So Having that conversation about your development is very important. And also we need to understand development is not a negative. It's an opportunity to grow. It's progression. Yeah. And so um, I was very open with my um, leaders and I said, you know, these are my ambitions. This is what I want to achieve. This is where I want to go, which also meant that at some point I will leave the organization and take on something higher yeah. and better. Uh, but your leader needs to be open to helping shape that as well. So Correct. it does also come from your direct leader. Be Even if you're at an executive level, your leader is going to have to help shape that. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So for me, taking on more leadership type of jobs really helped to push me in that direction right. because every time I took on a new role, I had evidence to support what I was doing. And of yeah. course, at the interview stage, that's when you know your candidates well. Do they really know what they're talking about or do they really know what they're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So um, having that gave me confidence to say, you know, I can deliver. Yeah. I can provide outcomes. And um, these are the leadership qualities I can carry Correct. to help uh, direct and support your organization. Yeah, brilliant. And how would you, um, what would your suggestion be? I mean, you're obviously somebody who was, naturally quite happy to, um, you know, uh, and you were able to sort of delegate and, and move away from that. What's your suggestion and advice to somebody who might be struggling with that, um, you know, but they still want to, they do want to move into that leadership? Um, do you have any suggestions or any approaches that you think um, would be beneficial to somebody like that? Yeah, definitely. I would say another approach when you're building the confidence and you're building the courage would be to join leadership networks. So I would say some of the things I did pre-COVID was join a lot of meetup groups and they were a mix. Some of them were really technical um, because I wanted to make sure that I was across the technical trends, but then some of them were just really management and leadership focused. And having that sort of networking um, uh, relationship just encouraged me to understand um, who I wanted to be as a leader, but also who I didn't want to be as a leader. and um, those were key things that I mapped out. And I also went on a mapping exercise for myself. It was very personal and it was very um, much related to my internal thought processes mm-hmm. around leadership. So I did personal branding, which was quite a, a, an evolutionary sort of exercise. I did it with a consultant. And that was really useful for me because it gave me a lot more understanding about the, the things that I fear 
and how I could mitigate that and how I could also try and find ways to harness my strengths and, and be able to deliver on those strengths. Um, and we, we will all have that because, again, we're not perfect. So understanding that really helped to build my confidence. And it also helped to shape that story of my career and shape the direction I wanted to take. Um, to that also, um, I chose a couple of mentors and um, speaking to those mentors really helped because I really saw them as role models for myself and they're a mix of male and female, people who are also still aspiring to be leaders as well and being able to support them. Um, so, you know, choosing mentors to shape that really did help me. Uh, but then I myself became a mentor as well. And, and that was a really good privilege to take because it meant I could share my journey with somebody else who would possibly resonate with that. But in turn, I learned something about it as well. I learned more about how to be a better leader and how to be a better coach. Um, and that's what I would like to grow my career to be. I would like to be known for being a good coach and a good leader and helping shape those teams to uh, really progress from where they are to where they want to be. Um, so those things, I would say, really helped to define that leadership. Um, and it's still a journey. It hasn't ended. And it's probably going to be like that till I retire. Yeah. Um, but it's that constant learning. Um, something that I also put into my daily routine was to read something new every day or learn something new every day about my environment of data and technology, but also my environment of being a leader. Um, because, you know, there are, of course, some really great gurus out there. I love following them. But you know, you have to find something that resonates with you that you feel can make a difference. And so I keep searching. I found some things that work and some things that don't really work. Yeah. Um, but then there are those that really resonate quite strongly with me that helps me to, to be a leader even in my personal life and, and take accountability for my actions. Yeah. So I'd say you really need to find a good mix. And I think you need to take courage. Courage is the most important thing. Uh, but you also have to be open to uh, doing some introspection about what really works and what doesn't really work for your personality. Yeah. Um, because a lot of your leadership comes through your personality as well and the energy that you carry around you yeah. um, and knowing how that can be adopted in different environments. Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you for that. And look, I, you know, I really um, appreciate you sharing that. I mean, I know part of me sometimes from what you're saying feels like, you know, females have to work just that little bit harder to... Yeah you know, to, to push their careers forward. I mean, I think back to, you know, all my years of working in the corporate, I'd obviously run my own business now, but, um, and I think back and, you know, I, I, you know, I can, I can vision and see my leaders and that were female and, you know, I feel like they, they certainly did have to work that tad harder. And I really hope that, you know, as we have more and more, um, individuals like you in organizations that we, we bridge that gap and it, it does become, you know, a lot easier and, and you don't have to, you know, don't have to work so hard in the background to to be able to to have these opportunities, um, and and that's kind of why I really want to get this message out there because I think there's a, so many you know amazing um, female leaders and potential female leaders out there that uh, you know just feel you know or don't have the confidence to to put themselves out there. So you know, I really appreciate the the honesty and openness around all the work that has gone into helping you get to where you are. Um, I suppose, look, you know, we've talked about a lot of things. There's probably other questions I had in mind, but I think we've covered a fair bit of them. Um, in terms of ways of working, um, you know, what's your views on where the future is and, you know, for the roles, I suppose, that haven't haven't even yet been created? You know, where do you see it going? You, how do you see the ways of working sort of changing over the next few years? 
I think we're going to be seeing a lot more flatter structures, less hierarchical, and I think a lot more of your squad-based structures as well in terms of, you know, being able to share skills. Um, one of the models I do like looking at, and I'm not promoting a brand, but everybody knows Spotify, yeah. uh, but they started off in terms of their journey. They had very small, lean, and really agile teams, yeah. but now they've grown into this massive multi-billion dollar industry and company. Um, so I like to think of it as I think we're going to be taking on bigger and more projects, but we're going to have to work with leaner teams. Um, many reasons for that. Uh, revenue is one of the reasons, but then the other reason is really skills. And, um, you know, the talent in the market is is really low with a high demand. Um, and again, it probably goes back to your earlier question of how do we encourage talent and, you know, be it female or male, how do we encourage talent? And it comes back to how many people are aware of the career options that are available to them. So as that talent grows, the the organizational structures will change. But in light of the lack of talent, it means we have to really work more hybrid. There's going to be a lot more cross-functional leadership, um, managing not just your direct teams, but teams that live in other teams, um, and really being able to, to share that approach of, you know, doing more with less, but prioritizing what you do and really focusing on how are those priorities going to add value and impact to an organization over a course of 12, 24, 36 months. So I think those structures are really going to change. But I also think leaders at, at maybe not necessarily the executive level as yet, but below the executive level leaders, they are going to need to carry on more technical skills than they used to have. So, you know, I mean, leaders are really strong with the soft skills and the navigation mm -hmm. of human relationships. But along with that, because of the changing environment, I think they're going to need to carry a bit more technical skills yeah. and be prepared to roll up their sleeves and do some hands-on work. Yeah. Uh, just because teams are being stretched, but also it helps in, in the form of education and knowing what technical capabilities you're working with and, and being able to, again, tailor those PDs and tailor the change management capabilities that you need to drive in the organization. So I think that's really going to change. And um, I think the other ways of working is we're going to expect a lot more soft skills from technical talent. Yes. Um, because, again, just as leaders have to take on some technical skills, technical uh, talent will need to take on more of leadership skills. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think a lot of times you'll notice people are also hiring to see how, you know, um, specific uh, analysts or engineers communicate yes. and how they share that story. Yeah. And if I ask them a question, can they take me on their journey? All right. Um, so those are the types of things I think are really going to change in the environment. And I think even at an educational level, if you're doing, um, you know, tertiary uh, degree or qualification, that is going to become more and more native to every course that you study, that your soft skills are also exposed and your soft yeah. skills are also really encouraged. Um, another way of ways of working, um, I would say, is change management is going to become, again, an embedded capability in an organization, again, because it's continuous and because change management is the place where it really has to start yeah. um, to encourage and build out the capability. Um, and along with that, there's going to also be two other main things that I see shaping up the ways of working. One is governance and governance across every area, not just data, but tech and uh, organization, as well as uh, people management. So governance is going to become another key area. And I don't think those jobs have been created yet. Yeah, but absolutely. Um, and then the other aspect, again, which will become even bigger if it's not already in some organizations, is training and development. And, and really making sure you invest in that. And you train and develop not because 
you want to keep the talent or you want to retain the talent, but it's because you have to actually meet the needs of the organization. Yeah. And if your employee chooses to leave, that's good on them. But it also means that you encourage new employees, new thinking to come in and say, hey, I get great training and development opportunities here, but I think I can also add a lot of value. So it's a two-way relationship. As people exit, new people enter and fresh thinking comes alongside. So training and development, again, big part of change management, big part of transformation. um, And being able to encourage that will also become uh, a key driver of um, ways of working. Yeah, yeah. And I think I've heard this before as well. Um, You know, leaders have said, and I've probably read it as well, that it's, you know, some leaders see that as a huge compliment when they've had somebody join, they've developed, they've grown, and they've chosen to go somewhere else because they, you know, I think they take that as a compliment that they've really supported and helped grow somebody. And for them, you know, that that that's a, um, you know, a, I suppose a representation of um, the way that they've led and helped coach and, and it should be seen as a compliment and not be seen as a negative when somebody decides to go somewhere else to to take on you know better opportunities or growth in their career um i think as as a good leader you that's what you aspire to yeah um, i totally agree and i and i think too that i'd also like to add um that there'll probably also be a lot more innovation coming out of more organizations mm-hmm. at the moment innovation tends to live in organizations that have a lot of uh, money and yes. can afford to have innovation teams. Mm-hmm. But I do see innovation coming up in small pockets within teams because, again, it's something that an organization should and will encourage um, uh, and be open to trying new ways of doing things. So innovation will be something I think we'll see a lot more of um, in the future. Excellent, excellent. And to wrap things up, I always like to ask this question as well, is how do you see the... Um, the, the data world um, and, you know, the, the market and this the data space uh, sort of evolving um, over the next five years? Oh, yeah. Um, I think there's so much that's happening already. It's just going to become more refined. I mean, I think um, machine learning will take on more capabilities in even smaller organizations. I think only bigger organizations can afford the really high-value machine learning um, models and processes I think it's going to take on a more operational approach into even you know mid to smaller organizations, but that's also because the talent will grow and you would be able to invest in those capabilities. There's going to be a lot more low-code, no-code tools as well. Um, there are already some out there, but not exposed enough. So there'll be a lot more of that, giving power back to the user, I think, because again, um, with that many tools and that many technical capabilities needed, um, we cannot afford to rely only on technical expertise. We need to give power back to the user. So I think there's going to be a lot more tools that are going to surface in organizations that um, gives ownership and accountability to the user to be able to navigate and execute. Um, so I think that's going to become a bigger deal. Um, auto machine learning as well as automated processes will become more um, visible. Yeah. And I think what you're going to also see is there's going to be less dependence on you know, having continuous engineering versus engineering for the beginning and then it's going to become more automated and again more ownership driven by the user so that again will fall back into the automated processes space so that itself will change um i think there's also going to be a lot more organizations driving conversational ais so already a lot of organizations have their chatbots and conversational ais but i think there's going to be even more um, organizations taking that on to reduce overhead costs around 
people management, but also making sure that they're delivering 24-7 service. And also, as usual, being able to centralize that data and make sure that they have all the data that their customers want, uh, provide to them so that, again, they can make better decisions. Um, so I think that's going to become a more common practice. It's still very much in the learning model. Um, so that's going to become another key area. And then when it comes down to ways of working, I think the trend is going to be very much around what are the new cultural paradigms we can add within data environments around the ways of working? How does it change when we work with data, technology, and people, and processes? So all of that in its own is going to change um, the way we work, the way we see things, and the way we deliver as well. Um, so outside of the actual tech trends, there is the human trends, which yeah. I think will really change and shape the way we um, deliver and the way we talk to our customers as well as our organization. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for that. And lastly, what would your advice be to somebody who's, who's listening to this and sort of questioning, you know, whether or not they sort of push, you know, whether or not they should or shouldn't um, push themselves out for leadership opportunities? What would your advice be to them? I would say that if you have found a leader that you really resonate with and you feel has made impact on, on your life as well as your career and you think you want to be that person or you would like to be close enough to that person, I would say take on some new projects that center around leadership and find the courage to have confidence in yourself. Because I think when we have confidence, we take on challenges. When we don't have confidence, we just stay where we are. Yeah. Um, so to have that confidence in yourself and do things that are possibly outside of your work environment to help build that confidence as well. And network a lot more. Um, that itself can help build your communication, um, navigating awkward conversations and yeah. navigating ambiguity as well. Because as leaders, you have to navigate a lot of ambiguity. It just gives you that experience. And I would say sometimes in La La Land, we like to imagine that it's an ideal world and that, yeah. you know, being a leader is great. But you also need to know what does it mean to be a leader. Yeah. So I would say take the courage, take the confidence, meet with more leadership uh, type of um, um, events and, and networking. And then also try and spend more time with, with leaders that resonate with you and you feel have made impact in your life. Um, and that would be a good place to start. And then you can answer the question, do I want to be a leader or not? And, <laughs> yeah. and that should help direct your cause. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. So look, I've really, really enjoyed it. And I think um, the listeners, you know, will be able to get a lot out of the um, out of the session. So thank you so much for your time. I really, really do appreciate it. Thank you, Rena. It was such a pleasure to talk with you. And um, this is one of the better sessions I've had in a long time. So thanks for taking the time out to listen to me and um, share your thoughts with me as well. Thank you, Sue. And look, I always ask as well um, the guests that if there's anybody that's listening um, and they want to reach out to you on LinkedIn or, or connect with you about something that we've talked about or just bounce some ideas, are you happy for them to reach out to you directly? Yeah, absolutely. It always helps to put in a note, then I know which context you're yeah. uh, reaching out to me in. Uh, but yeah, I'm more than open to networking and also um, to sharing some ideas and bouncing off um, any mutual sort of interests together. So yeah, please feel free to, to, to uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Perfect. Thanks, Sue. Thank you.